The uh, um, refrigerator door was open, and she had a a container of Cool Whip, and had the lid off, and she was just eating Cool Whip. And uh, it's a nice little refreshing thing, but you wouldn't want to try to survive on Cool Whip, whip would you? Amen. But the Word of God gives us strength. Amen. We got to stay in the Word. We got to stay in prayer if we want to survive, if we want to thrive. And I'm glad to see each of you in the house of the Lord tonight. And I promise you, I promise you one thing that if you'll engage in the Word of God, whether it's in J positive or up here during our worship service, if you'll engage in the Word of God, God will give you some strength. God will give you an encouragement. Amen. <clears throat> Something to stick to your bones. How many ever heard that phrase before? Amen. Something that'll stick to your ribs. Amen. Mom said, you can't, you can't have that. For, you can't have chocolate cake for breakfast. Get some oatmeal. Get something that will stick to your ribs. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. This week, uh, tomorrow night, there is a choir practice here. Uh, praise team practice before and choir practice is at what time, Sister Christina? 8 p.m. here for choir practice. And um, this weekend, uh, of course, Friday is the 4th of July and uh, where we celebrate um, the independence. And uh, whether you guys knew that or not, some of you think it's when we celebrate the barbecue grill, but uh, we're celebrating uh, uh, our national independence. And then uh, this Sunday, uh, we are looking forward to a great time in the presence of the Lord. And I believe good things are going to happen. God's spoken to me uh, a word for Life Church, and I encourage you, if at all possible, to be here on Sunday. Uh, I believe God wants us to hear uh, what He has to say. And uh, um, I believe it's important to be in the house of the Lord unless you're on vacation. Or having to work, uh, be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Everybody say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We'd like for ushers to come forward. We want to give you an opportunity to uh, uh, give you a chance and an opportunity to uh, give as the Lord has blessed you. Brother uh, Chris Sprugman, when is that uh, event for the men? July 18, 19. That's a Friday night and Saturday. Is that correct? Okay, Brother Chris is going to meet with the men of the church after church. So young young men from J Positive, come on up as well, and we'll have a quick meeting um, about the uh, camp out uh, 18th and 19th of July, right? Praise the Lord. Amen. How many have been blessed of God? <laughs> Hallelujah. How many are thankful for God's goodness in your life? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you, dear God, for providing and meeting needs for us, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord God, that you are the lifter of our head. You're the one that opens doors that seem impossible to open, Lord God. And we praise you and thank you for all that you've done for us and all that you've given on our behalf. I pray, Lord, tonight that you'd bless this offering, Lord God, every gift that is given, Lord Jesus, and the tithe, dear God, that you require of believers, Lord Jesus. I pray that you'd bless and multiply and open the windows of heaven as your word promises and pour out blessings in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Come on, let's Open stand and sing it. Down. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see 
Come on, let's just praise him right now. He's worthy. Amen. To receive the glory and the honor. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. What an awesome 
thing it is to just begin to get your perspective right about the God that you serve. Amen. Get your eyes opened again. Praise the Lord. We'd like to dismiss at this time our J-Positive uh, youth ministry. And also in just a moment, Sister Christina is going to lead the children downstairs for a children's choir practice. Uh, so we're going to let our J-Positive, uh, JP Connect youth ministry be dismissed. And uh, pray that God's blessings touch be upon them. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The rest of you that are here, let's let's. Why don't we come up uh, a little bit closer here? Uh, just if we can kind of move in, if you don't mind. We're going to um, be getting in the Word of the Lord together here for a few minutes this evening, and um, I promise I won't spit. So you guys can come up, up closer to the front here, and uh, uh, you won't have to have windshield wipers on your sunglasses. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Brother Chris, I think I'm going to uh, maybe use one of these microphones that has a stand. I got the green one here. Praise the Lord. I'm going to, once you uh, find your place, I'm going to allow you to be seated because we're going to read the entire second chapter of Ephesians tonight and we're going to go through it verse by verse. Hallelujah. Uh, so, in order to keep you from having to stand up for a solid hour, I'll let you be seated now. Is that cool? Amen. We, uh, several weeks ago, before Brother Golden um, came to be with us, uh, began a study on the book of Ephesians, going through verse by verse in the book of Ephesians. And uh, we started and we studied uh, chapter number one of uh, the book of Ephesians, which was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the apostolic church and uh, that he had established in the city of Ephesus uh, in this great church which was mostly a Gentile church that had been established in this pagan area where um, there was a temple dedicated to the worship of the goddess Diana and uh, for sake of time just briefly I want to mention that in the first chapter uh, the Apostle Paul focused on the riches that we have in Christ Jesus, all the great riches and benefits. And ultimately it boiled down to the fact that our true inheritance is in Christ Jesus. And ultimately Jesus Christ's inheritance is you and I. And that is uh, the thing that uh, he hopes to inherit, which is a great church. So our inheritance is also Jesus inheritance. And we're a part of, uh, of his great inheritance and the riches that we have in Christ Jesus, having been sealed by the Holy Spirit, having been delivered from sin, that is our position in Christ Jesus or our, our, our possessions or our riches in Christ Jesus. So um, our riches in Christ is kind of the overall theme of the book of Ephesians. And as we look into chapter number two of um, the book of Ephesians, we're going to change our focus 
from our possessions, what we have in Christ, to our position. There's a difference between possessions and position. Possessions is what you have. Position is where you are. And so we want to talk about where we are as a result of Jesus Christ and where we used to be and where we are. And we're going to begin reading in Ephesians chapter number 2 in verse number 1. But before we read uh, verse uh, chapter 2, chapter 2 is kind of divided into two parts here. And you can see on the handout that I gave to you, the first part, verses 1 through 10, focuses on our positioning, which is to get out of the graveyard, to get out of the graveyard and to get into the throne room or into the temple that God has prepared for us. And the second half, verses 11 through 22, focuses on the peace mission that Jesus Christ was on and accomplished. And we've heard of many peace missions. Uh, Jimmy Carter, uh, the peace mission many years ago, and then uh, President Clinton and uh, President Bush and uh, how they tried to broker peace and they were unsuccessful uh, at doing so. But Jesus Christ was the one who was successful in brokering the greatest peace mission ever. And we're going to talk about that in the second part. But in the first part, verses 1 through 10 is where we will focus on getting out of the graveyard. What God has done for all sinners is he took us out of our position of being dead spiritually. And then the second half, what God did for the Gentiles and the sinners, causing us to be reconciled to Jesus Christ. So let's begin with chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 through 3. And this focuses on the first blank is sin's work against us. That's the first blank, against Before we get too far into this so that we can uh, just kind of flow and not have to stop and start, there are a number of auxiliary passages of Scripture that are mentioned in here. And I'd like for those of you that have a Bible to help me by looking these verses up. I'm going to assign them and hand them out right now. And you can look these verses up, and when it comes time for these verses, you'll be able to read them. Uh, They are the verses of Scripture that are not bold type, because the bold type is our, our text. Uh... If you have a Bible right now, if you could just raise your hand, if you have a Bible and you know how to read, that'll be important. Those two things are very important here uh, because each of you will probably have to have a couple verses. So just kind of, uh, if you're uncomfortable raising your hand because it wears your arm out, just have your thumb up right now, okay? Like you're a hitchhiker, all right? Uh, Sister Nezit, can you look up Romans chapter 6, verse 23 for me? Um, Brother Francisco, 1 Timothy 5 and 6. Brother Chris, Romans twelve twenty three, uh, Brother Chet, John eight twenty three, and also John seventeen fourteen, in the same book. Brother Donnie, Ephesians chapter number six, verses eleven and twelve. All right, who who's next? Who else has a, a sister Janelle? Um, John chapter twelve and verse thirty one. Anybody else, sister? Jean, uh, Ephesians 5 and 6, Sister um, Sister Becky, I'm sorry. Sister Becky, Psalms, two, two passages in Psalms there under the flesh, Psalms 51, 5 and uh, uh, 58 and 3. The problem, Sister Becky, is I was trying to remember your name and Sister Irma's name simultaneously, and I'm not good at multitasking. Sister Irma, you have your Bible, 1 Thessalonians 2 and 13. And uh, anyone else that has a Bible and has not yet? Yeah, okay. Uh, Ephesians chapter number 3, verses 20 and 21, Sarah. 
And uh, then, uh, let's see, are we back to the beginning? All right. First uh, Peter chapter four, verses 11 through 14. And uh, then there's just a few more. I've got uh, five more verses. Uh, Sister Barbara, Matthew 21, verse 43, there at the bottom. All right. Anyone else? Uh, Brother Francisco, First Peter 2, 2 and 9. There is at the bottom under one nation. Uh, and uh, let's see, anyone, uh, brother, brother Chris, um, Philippians chapter three verses, yeah, 20 and 21 under one nation there at the bottom. And finally, I need somebody to look up Matthew 16 and verse 18. Sister Kathy, can you do that for me? Matthew 16 and 18. Did you get a handout? Okay. Yes, sir. I think so. I mean, let's see. Romans 12. The world. I'm sorry, it's Romans 12, 2. Romans 12, 2. I gave you a verse that didn't exist. No wonder you were stressed out. Like, do I have to make it up or <laughs> So I have to anticipate what Paul was thinking here. All right. Um, and there's, uh, as we get into verses 1 through 10, now thank you guys for taking those assignments and just try to pay attention when we get to your verse there. Um, there are, are four things that we're looking on in, in, in uh, verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2. Uh, sins work against us. And then you'll see three, God's work, God's work, God's work, uh, blank, us and we'll look at those when we get to them. I'll go ahead and give you those blanks right now. That way we can come back. Uh, sins work against us. Number two is God's work for us, which is verses four through nine. And verse ten talks about God's work in us. That's number three. And the final one is God's work through us. God's work through us. So chapter 2, verse number 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. These three verses focus on and talk about God, or sin's work against us. These three verses kind of give us a full-length picture. Anybody ever had a picture that was full-length from head to toe? Uh, and so rather than just making sure you're smiling, you have to make sure your hands are right, your feet are positioned right. And this is a full-length picture of what sin did against us and the work that sin did against us. And in verse 1, it says, You hath he quickened. The word quickened means made alive. Everybody understand that quickened means doesn't make you faster, means it makes you alive. The Bible says, you hath he quickened who were dead 
in trespasses and sin. So letter A under number one, uh, the condition of the sinner is number one, he is dead, completely spiritually dead. That is what sin does to human beings. It makes them spiritually dead. When I say dead, that means the person is completely unable to understand or appreciate spiritual things. Anything that has to do with spiritual things, one who is spiritually dead is not intrigued by it. He can do nothing within himself to please God. And just like the example of somebody who is physically dead, they can't respond to any stimuli. I know maybe some of you have uh, uh, lost a loved one to death and you go up to the casket where they are in the front of the funeral parlor and you wish that you could talk to them and have them respond to you. But no matter how much you talk to them or if you try to shake them or awaken them, they, they will not respond because they are completely impossible. It's a completely impossible. They are unable to respond to any physical stimuli because they're physically dead. And a person who is spiritually dead, before God saved us and delivered us because of sin, we were spiritually dead and unable to respond to spiritual things. Just like a uh, a corpse cannot hear the conversation happening around him. He has no appetite for food, no appetite for drink. He feels no pain because he is dead. The same is true with the inner man of an unsaved person. He is completely and totally spiritually dead and uh, the spiritual faculties are not functioning just like a physically dead person's physical faculties are not functioning and they cannot function until God gives them new and spiritual life the cause of this spiritual death the Bible says in the verse 1 that we read is trespasses and sin the Bible says the wages of sin is death So we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. Now, whenever the Bible uses the word separation, some of you remember Brother um, Golden mentioned this a couple times. Whenever the Bible mentions death, it doesn't mean just like you stop breathing. Death, in, in a biblical sense, means separation. So the death that we are familiar with is where our spirit our, our, our spirit and soul is separated from the physical body. So when you go into the funeral parlor, the body that is there is not the person that you loved. They've been separated from their body. That's physical death. Spiritual death, which happened when Adam and Eve disobeyed, was when their spirit was their spirit died and they were separated from God. So physical death is the soul and spirit separating from the body. Spiritual death is us being separated from God. And the final death will be eternal separation from God, the second death that the Bible talks about. So in the Bible, death uh, basically means separation. So somebody who is an unbeliever, they're not spiritually sick, they're spiritually dead. And so all sinners are dead. Now, it's not you, you can't be more dead or less dead than someone else. So how dead is he? I mean, if he's dead, he's dead. I mean, uh, there is a variation in a state of decay, but there's no variation in whether someone is dead or how dead they are. A person who just died is just as dead as somebody who's been in the grave five years. Now, they're going to be at different states of decay and levels of decay. The same is true. You may see someone who, um, you know, doesn't seem like their life is as 
much a mess and things seem to be kind of together and you're like, well, maybe they're not as spiritually dead as this person who's uh, um, on skid row and their life's just a mess by alcohol and drugs and all that. No, they're all spiritually dead. Now, one may be at a further level of decay than the other, but they are both spiritually dead. And so everybody who is an unbeliever, everybody who is in trespass and sin is spiritually dead. So our world that we live in, sorry to tell you this, but Pasadena is one massive spiritual graveyard full of people who are dead in trespasses and sin. And they can't respond to spiritual stimuli. It doesn't make sense to them. It's like totally foreign to them because they are spiritually dead. So letter A, a person who is a sinner, sin's work against us is that we are spiritually dead. Letter B, verses 2 and 3. Wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Before we get into letter B, let me go ahead and uh, have uh, Sister Nezik, can you read Romans 6.23? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We know that it's talking about spiritual death and eventually uh, separation from God as well. First Timothy 5 and 6. She that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. What does that mean? How can you be dead and alive at the same time? The point is you're still alive and thriving and existing but something spiritually has died in you now all of us if we're honest with one another have experienced this before that we knew what it was to be alive in christ jesus to be thriving spiritually but then we allowed sin to come into our life and all of a sudden spiritual things don't make sense to us they're not appealing to us and god has to send out a search and uh What's the word I'm looking for? Search and rescue. I I almost said search and research, but I knew that wasn't right. Search and rescue uh, to to make sure that um, we can be restored to our spiritual rightful position in Christ Jesus. But uh, um, spiritual deadness, even though we're alive in this world and we're responding to the stimuli and our flesh is pleased, spiritually we're dead. And letter B, verses 2 and 3, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. The Bible says that a person, what sin causes to us is it causes us to be disobedient. This is the condition of the sinner. And uh, there are three things that promote and produce and prompt us towards disobedience. And every person who is a sinner and is uh, disobedient is prompted by one of these three things. And we know uh, Brother Golden shared with us a couple times that the beginning of man's spiritual death was when he disobeyed. When God told him specifically in Scripture uh, something that he was not to do, but Adam and Eve partook of the fruit anyway, And it was the beginning or what led to their spiritual death. Remember, in the day that you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. 
And so it was disobedience, not the fruit. It was the disobedience that led to spiritual death. And of course, Satan said, thou shalt not surely die. But since the time that Adam began in disobedience, human beings have lived in disobedience to God. And there are three tools that Satan uses, three forces in the world that encourage man in his disobedience. And they are, number one, the world, number two, the devil, and number three, the flesh. Let's notice these three right here. Verse 2, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world. Everybody say the world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that worked in the children of disobedience. Everybody say Satan. Among whom we had our conversations in times past in the lust of our flesh. Everybody say flesh. So right here in these two verses, it shows us our three greatest nemesis that leads us to disobedience. That leads us to spiritual death. That causes us not to be alive in Christ Jesus. The first one is the world. Brother Chris, uh, Revelation, uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. So the verse here says, Be not conformed to this world. And another translation says, don't let this world squeeze you in to its mold. The point is the world or the world system puts pressure on every person to try to get him to conform, to try to get him to him or her to submit to what is acceptable and right in the world, whether or not it causes us to disobey God, just to submit to this world. But when you look in the word of God in uh, John 8:23 and John 17:14, it tells us about Jesus how he related to the world and how his people are to relate to the world. Brother Chet So Jesus said, you're of this world, but I am not of this world. There's something about, and he was not just saying, you know, I'm not from this world because Jesus was from the world. He, he, he was born of Mary. But the point was, he was not submitted to the world system. He was not going to be conformed into what the world tells us to do. And when we think about that today, there are a lot of different things that, uh, Give us the message of this is what's acceptable in the world, which may be Hollywood. It may be advertisers from Madison Avenue. It may be political systems. And it, it's probably different in different places in the world, but it's all the spirit of the world that doesn't really care what the Bible says. Anybody notice that lately? It really doesn't matter what the Bible says anymore. In fact, it's almost like if it says it in the Bible, then you run away from it. That's kind of the spirit of the world that we're in right now. But the next verse of Scripture, Brother Chet, tells us how God's people ought to be in relationship to the world. Amen. So the Lord Jesus Christ here says, you're not to be of the world either. So Jesus is not of this world. In other words, he's not controlled by this world system or conformed in the mentality of this world. So neither should you and I be controlled by this world 
Neither should you or I be controlled by this world system. But the point is that we're saying here is sin's work against us is that we are disobedient. And part of our disobedience is prompted by the world that we live in. So the the point is, is that unsaved people, either consciously or unconsciously, are controlled by the values and the attitudes of the world, of this world. The second force is the devil. As the scripture says, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. There is a spirit, an evil spirit that is at work when people begin to choose to disobey the Lord. Um, Now, we understand that um, Satan cannot be working in all of our lives at the same time because he's not omnipresent. So it's not like, you know, sometimes we say this is a work of Satan. And it is, but it's not necessarily the work of him all by himself. Whereas God can work in every service at the same time. Satan himself can't be there. He has to have representatives. And uh, so it is his uh, demonic associations that are the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, Brother Donnie. Amen. Amen. So this is what we fight against. This is what a sinner is who is led into disobedience. This is what prompts disobedience. The world and its world system that says it doesn't matter what the Bible says. Secondly, the spirit that works in the children uh, children of disobedience or these spiritual wickedness in high places. And uh, Satan also has control over world systems. So there's a correlation or relationship between the world and satan and uh, the verse that tells us that is john chapter 12 and verse 31 john 12 go ahead the prince of this world shall be cast out that's referring to satan another place the bible says that satan has become the god of this world the god of this world and so uh that's why that's why the influence of sin is so prevalent in our world today and it has the upper hand in our world today because satan is the prince of this world and he wants his desire and passion is to make people children of disobedience and this is the final verse in that one ephesians 5 and 6 God's wrath is coming upon the children of disobedience. Those who decide for whatever reason that what God says doesn't matter, I'm going to do what I want to do, God's wrath will come upon them. But it is Satan that prompts them and leads them and directs them into rebellion. Now, how many knows, how many of you have been in Sunday school before and you know what the devil's favorite tool? We're fighting against the world, the world, Satan, and the flesh. But when we're talking about Satan... What is his favorite weapon or tool to use against the church? 
Anybody remember from Sunday school? Think way back to Sunday school. What is the devil associated with? Confusion or argument? What's that? Fear? Division? Money? Doubt? Faith? Negative faith? Nobody said the one that I remember the most. Remember pants on fire hanging from a telephone wire? Liar. The devil's a liar. There's no truth in him. When he speaketh, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. You're of your father the devil, and the lust of the father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, abode not in the truth. And so the nature of Satan is opposite of God's nature. God is truth. Satan is a liar. And so the chief tool that Satan uses to get people to disobey God is the same one he used from the very beginning. You shall not surely die. That's a lie. That is a lie. And Satan still uses the same thing to try to prompt and move people into disobedience. And uh, the unsaved multitudes in the world today uh, disobey God because they believe the lies of Satan. And when a person believes and practices a lie, he becomes a child of disobedience. Just like Eve was the very first child of disobedience. She heard the lie of the enemy. She believed the lie of the enemy and she acted on it and she became a child of disobedience. Now here's the deal. Whenever you become spiritually vulnerable, the devil's going to send a barrage of lies your direction. Boom, 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 boom. They're going to come like a machine gun arsenal. And they can make no sense. But all of a sudden you start having all of these things come to your direction. And uh, things like, he, he doesn't care about me. They don't love me. This will make me happy. This will make me feel good. This will satisfy me. This doesn't make sense. I would be happier if I... This is the way that Satan worked against Eve, right? God doesn't mean that. God's keeping something from you. You'll feel better. You'll be happier. You'll be fulfilled if you take this step. When you become spiritually vulnerable, you're going to begin to be hit with a barrage of lies. Amen? It's not going to get better. You're not going to get better. Things are not going to improve. Your sickness is going to get worse. Your financial situation is going to get worse when you have the promises of God on your side, but the lies start coming in. And the whole purpose for the lie, what's the purpose for the lie? Not just to discourage you, but to lead you into disobedience. Are you with me? Satan's whole goal is not to get you discouraged. His whole goal is to get you into disobedience. Because when you get into disobedience, you're spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. And you have to be revived. Amen? You're in a lot better position as a discouraged Christian than you are as a child of disobedience. Amen? That's why when discouragement comes, 
get on your knees, cry out to God, do whatever you got to do to get your spirits lifted because the ultimate goal of the lies of the enemy, and you'll start hearing them. You'll start hearing them. And the ultimate goal is to lead us into disobedience. All right? So the devil is a source that leads us to disobedience. And the final, the third force that the scripture here talks about is our flesh that encourages the unbeliever to disobey God or even encourages sometimes the believer to disobey God. Now, when when Paul speaks of the flesh here, he's not just talking about our our human body, uh, but the flesh is referring to the fallen nature that we were born with. Everybody, you are born with a sinful nature. I have bad news. You were born with a sinful nature. Anybody ever wondered, why does a dog act like a dog? Because he's got a dog nature. If you could take the nature of a cat and put it into that dog, then the dog would act differently. But that dog was born with a dog nature. That's why people act like they act, because they were born with a sinful nature. That's why we got to be born again. We've got to be born again because otherwise we struggle eternally with that sinful nature, which is what the Bible is talking about here when it refers to the flesh. We act like sinners or a human being acts like a sinner because he has the nature of a sinner. And I have two verses in Psalms there that uh, I've assigned 51 and uh, verse number five and then 58 and three that indicate that this sinful nature is the flesh. I was born in iniquity or brought forth in iniquity and in sin was I conceived. I was born with a sinful nature. That's why the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God because we were born with a sin nature. If you take somebody and the, the expectation is for them to live a holy life, but they've not been born again, that's like expecting a dog to act like anything other than a dog because he's got that dog nature. And we've got a sinful nature. We inherited from our father Abraham, our, our father Adam. And so we also have that sinful nature. And the other pastor scripture. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They're really, when you look at the doctrine of scripture, it shows that all of us were born in a spiritually depraved condition, separated from our spiritual father. We were born in sin. We we're born separated from our spiritual father. This is our carnal or our fleshly nature. So the unsaved person is naturally going to be disobedient to God. Why? Number one, because that's what the world tells them to do. Number two, they've got Satan working against them. Number three, the product of sin is that uh, they've got a sinful nature and it's natural for them to act that way. And so a human being cannot change his own nature and cannot of himself overcome the world and overcome the devil. He needs help from the outside and that can only come from the Lord Jesus Christ. It can only come from God. All right, verse number three, Ephesians chapter two 
says among whom we all had our conversations in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So sin's work against us is that we're spiritually dead. We're disobedient. Number th- number letter C, we are also depraved. The lost sinner lives to please the desires of the flesh and the wishes of the minds. His actions are sinful because his appetites are sinful. And uh, what it's saying here is that you, when you were spiritually born, when you were born spiritually separated from God, you could not do anything good to please God. That didn't mean you just did evil all the time, but because there's some good people that have never been introduced to Jesus that are kind and helpful. But it means that they could not, being depraved means that there was no way to do what was spiritually good to be able to please God. And finally, letter D, he is doomed. The unsaved person is condemned, condemned already. And uh, only by the grace of God can salvation be made possible. And that's why verse 4, the first two words are very important. First two words of verse 4, but God, you are dead in your trespasses and sin. You are walking according to the course of this world, following the pattern of this world, following the uh, uh, being conformed to this world. You were under the influence of Satan and controlled by your flesh and the carnal nature, but God, amen? Those are the most two important words right there is but God. God made all the difference in the world. What a difference those two world words made for us. So number two is how to get out of this graveyard of being spiritually dead. And number two is God's work for us. God's work for us. Verse number four, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. How many thankful that God loved us? Amen. The focus now turns away from sinful man and the focus turns toward our God and what he has done for us, what God did for us. Verse 4 says that God loved us. Now, we know God's nature is that God is love, right? God is love. That's one of his attributes. But there, are, this is kind of deep here. Can you all plunge down with me a little bit here? There are two types of attributes that God has. Number one, he has intrinsic attributes. And number two, he has relational attributes. Intrinsic Relational. Anybody know what the difference between those two might be? Intrinsic and relational. There's a little bit of a difference between the two. Namely, intrinsic means those attributes that he possesses of himself without any concern for other people, such as love and holiness. But those attributes that he has in relationship to his creation, especially to man, are called relational or relative attributes. Let me, let me show you the difference here. God is truth. That's an intrinsic attribute of God. He is truth. But God's attribute, when truth relates to us, 
is justice. Justice. Truth just stands alone. But when truth is put in a relative sense in relationship to human beings, it is justice. And God's truth becomes faithfulness. Amen? God's nature is holy, but when he relates that holiness to man, it becomes justice. And so love is one of God's intrinsic attributes. God is love. God is love. But when that intrinsic attribute becomes relational, love becomes grace and mercy. Grace and mercy is how love becomes relationally. All right? God by himself is love. But his attribute in relationship to us, his love is translated to grace and mercy. So the nature of God is that God is love. With his love, he has loved us. We're actually not saved by love, but we're saved by God's mercy and grace, which is a product of his intrinsic nature, which is love. Amen? Let's come back up for air now. See, that's deep. So verse 4, he loved us. Verse number 5, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, ye are saved. When we were dead in sins, he quickened us. Everybody say quickened us. He quickened us. Amen. Some of you, you're only, when you think of quickened, you think of what I need to do with my finances on the computer. But it simply means he made us alive. He accomplished spiritual resurrection. Remember, the first three verses said we were dead. We were dead. We were disobedient. We were dead. We were disobedient because of the world and because of Satan and because of our flesh. We could not please God. It was impossible. I mean, it could not happen. The odds were stacked against us. But God quickened us and made us spiritually alive. That was our only hope. Because you know what? You can take somebody who's spiritually dead and give him a list a mile long of how to be holy and be righteous and they're not going to be able to accomplish it. But when you make them spiritually alive, all of a sudden there is an intrinsic or built-in desire to please God when they become spiritually alive. Can you imagine trying to serve God if you didn't want to? Can you imagine trying to serve God and please God if you didn't have a desire to? Amen? That's why the work of the Spirit is so important. It's what makes that desire alive in us. He quickens us. He makes us spiritually alive. He accomplished the spiritual resurrection by the power of the Spirit using His Word. Let's read again. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Now, making us spiritually alive, which is an awesome story that happened in We could go down the line and all give the testimonies of how God changed our life. What happened? What happened was God breathed life into us. And I just woke some of you up. And when he breathed life into us, suddenly we wanted to please him. The way I used to live, I don't want to live anymore. The way I used to talk, I don't want to talk anymore. The places I used to go, I don't want to go anymore. Amen? Things I used to do, I don't want to do it anymore. How did that happen? Hey man, I I, I promise you there's not a preacher good enough in this world to make that change happen in your life. There's not a book you can read that can make that difference. The only thing that can quicken you is to bring that spirit back alive which reconnects you with God. And God quickens us through His Spirit and through His Word. 
That's why the Word of God is always involved in a person's conversion. Whether it's preaching, whether they get in their Bible, whether somebody witnesses to them, the Word of God is always going to be a part of it because God's got to speak for resurrection to happen. Are you with me? There's got to be a Word from God for resurrection to happen. And if uh, you want uh, proof of that, uh, then you can look in the examples of Jesus' life in the four Gospels, Jesus raised three people from the dead. Who are the three people that Jesus raised from the dead? Lazarus, the widow's son, the girl. What was, what was the girl's dad name? Jairus, Jairus' daughter. These are the three people that Jesus raised from the dead. So we have, we can look into this. And, and, uh, and see the parallel between physical resurrection and spiritual resurrection. These are the three individuals that Jesus rose from the dead. And in each of these three cases, if you wanted to look them up in the Bible, you would notice that Jesus spoke the word and it was his word that gave life. Because the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. What does it mean it's quick? I used to think... When they say the word of God is quick, it's sharper than a sword and it's fast. But the word quick actually means alive. The word of God is alive. The word of God maketh alive. It's quick, it's living, and it is powerful. And in these three physical resurrections that you read about in scripture, Jairus' daughter and Lazarus and the widow's the widow's uh, son that was raised, these are pictures of spiritual resurrection that comes to a sinner when he hears the word and believes. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, something began to stir. Something impossible began to happen. Something improbable began to transpire. Why? Because God spoke the word and the word of God does not return void and something begin to stir and something begin to happen and the millipedes and the centipedes and the flesh worms begin to spit up the flesh and give it back to Lazarus so that he could come forth and this body that was dead and clinically impossible to raise again because the decomposition had already started it went into reverse why because the word of God spoke and that which was impossible began to happen that's why when the word of God is preached. It is powerful. Things can happen. Great things can happen when the word of God begins to go forth because the word of God is quick. It is living. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It brings things to life. Amen? The word of God. The word of God. And great things happen when the word is preached and when somebody believes. Great things happen. Living things happen. Resurrection takes place. Transformation takes place. Amen? Praise God. That's why it's so exciting. And Brother Golden preached about it a couple of weeks ago on Sunday. How that when the word goes forth, there is to be the response. When the word goes forth, there is to be a response. Because the word has to be greeted by faith. And when the word and faith come together, resurrection transpires. Amen?
And somewhere along the way, when a sinner is sitting in the pew and the preacher is preaching about the power of God's Spirit to change their life, something has to click inside of them. And they have to say, you know what, I don't understand all this, but I believe what that preacher is saying. He's pretty convinced. And these people are pretty convinced as well. I kind of believe. And something begins to stir because the Word has been spoken. Amen? And faith is going forward. Hallelujah. And spiritual resurrection happens. Just like physical resurrection happened when Jesus said, daughter, rise up. When Jesus said, arise. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. But our spiritual resurrection is much greater than the resurrections, those three that we read about in the Bible, because our spiritual resurrection joins us back into union with Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. And then verse number six. And by the way, don't get stressed out. We're only going to go through verse 10 tonight. I realized that as I was preparing, I thought this is too ambitious uh, to think that we can get all the way through this. Verse number six. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus, what he did for us. He loved us, he quickened us, and he has exalted us. Now, here's the deal all of this was made possible at Calvary on the old rugged cross by the blood of Jesus. This is all that Jesus was doing for us on the cross. He was loving us, he was giving us hope for life, and he was exalting us. We were not to be left in the graveyard. Amen. Hallelujah. And when God quickens us by his spirit, our position may be that we still are living physically on the earth, but our spiritual position is in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Amen. We're still living on this earth, but we're walking spiritually in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. And just like Lazarus, we have been called from the grave to sit with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Lazarus come forth. And a little while later, he's having dinner with the Lord Jesus Christ. Same way, when God spoke that word of resurrection, it was not just so we could be spiritually alive, but it was so that we could be brought into union with Christ Jesus. We could be exalted to that place of relationship and fellowship with us. Amen? Verse number 7, 7 through 9. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us, through Christ Jesus. He raised us up so that in ages to come, he could show how rich and how exceeding rich his grace was through us. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So when God redeemed us, His purpose there is that he was going to keep us. He did not simply rescue us from hell and save us by his grace through our faith in him. But his ultimate purpose in our salvation is that for all of eternity, the church might glorify God and his grace that's been shown through us. So everybody point your finger at yourself and say, God has an eternal purpose through me. 
God has an eternal purpose for us to fulfill. And if he has an eternal purpose for me, he's going to keep me for all eternity. Amen. We've not been saved by our good works. We've been saved by God's grace. So we're not going to be lost by our bad works. Amen. We're going to be saved. Salvation is not of works because the work of salvation was already done on the cross. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So we're saved by grace through faith. And it's not ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And the point is, verse 7, so that through the ages to come, he might show the riches of his grace toward us through Christ Jesus. God has a long-term eternal plan for our redemption. All right? Praise God. Verse number 10, number 3. God's work in us. So first of all, sin had worked against us, but God worked for us. And once God worked for us, the next step was that God would work in us. Everybody say, in me. In me. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now here, I'll just give you a little precursor here. God worked in us so that he could work through us. We are his workmanship. He is inside working. So ultimately, he can work through us by letting good works be the product of his spirit working inside of us. He works in us And then, after he works in us, he's able to work through us. Amen? Our conversion is not an end. It is simply the beginning. Amen? God continues to work in us to make us what he wants us to be. How does God work in us? How does God work in us? And you see here that there are three special tools that God uses through his Holy Spirit. But ultimately, God works through his Holy Spirit. Philippians 2.13 says, both to do and to will, to do and to, and to will his good pleasure. Let me see where, where that is there. Philippians 2.13, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Through his Holy Spirit, he works in us. Now, God finished the work of salvation on Calvary, but the work in us is something that he continues to do. He is perfecting his church. Everybody say perfecting. He is equipping us for our walk and for the work that he has given to us here on the earth. And so God has something for you to do. His salvation was completed in one fell swoop. But then he says, I got to get you ready for your work and getting you ready for your work is what I'm going to do inside of you. Saving you is what I did for you, but preparing you is what I'm going to do in you. Saving you can happen over in in just a few moments when you believe the word and resurrection happens and the breath of God breathes upon you. But God's purpose being fulfilled in your life or God working in you is a process, amen, that takes a little bit of time. And God has some tools that he uses, uh, three special tools that God uses to work in in us. And let's look at those real quick. The first of those tools that God uses is the word of God, 
The second is prayer. And the third is suffering. Let's look at these verses here. The word of God. Who has 1 Thessalonians The word of God. When you heard the word, you received it like you should have. You realize that it is the word of God that works in you. The word of God gets inside of you and starts moving things around. The word of God gets inside of you and starts pushing things out. The word of God gets inside of you and starts re, uh, resetting your priorities. Amen. The word of God gets inside of you and begins to convict. The word of God gets inside of you and begins to change your attitude. The, come on, somebody. This is the truth. The word of God gets inside of you and begins to work. So God's purpose being fulfilled in your life happens because the word of God gets inside of you. God's will, what he wants to do through me will never happen if I don't let his word get in me. That's why people who don't read the Bible, people who don't attend church faithfully, people who don't come to Bible study and they wonder, why isn't God doing anything with my life? It's because you're not letting him work in you and he can't work through you until he works in you. And the word of God works inside of you to bring about a transformation and to bring about a change. As we read God's word, as we understand God's word, as we meditate on God's word, as we feed on God's word, the word goes to work in our lives. The word begins to cleanse us. The word begins to nourish us. The word begins to strengthen us. The word begins to transform us. Amen. So that's what God does to use us to do his work inside of us is the word of God. Secondly is prayer. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 20 and 21. Amen. Through the power of prayer, God's spirit works in us as we pray to release power, to release power, God's spirit works in us. There's power in prayer. Amen. There's power in God's word. God's word begins to shake us and renew us and restore us. When we pray, God begins to work inside of us. Amen. And give us hope and faith. Hey, it's simple, man. You don't have to have a degree to be successful in living for God. You, come on now. You, you don't have to have a lot of information and knowledge and insight. You just have to learn the discipline of staying in the word of God. Amen. Letting the word be taught to you. Reading it for yourself. Letting God speak to you through his word. And then getting in prayer. And what's happening? God's working inside of you. God's making a change inside of you. Amen. My God. Sometimes we focus so much of, uh, of our prayer on God. You can do great things. You can do miracles. And something outside of me is going to happen when I pray. And that can happen. But the biggest thing that's happening when you pray is what's happening inside of you. Amen. And when I pray, the product of my prayers is not just that an answer happens elsewhere. But the product of my prayer is that God is working in me so that eventually he can work through me. Amen. Amen. And the final... Uh, main tool that God uses to work in us 
is a, a surprising one, but it's suffering. Suffering. First Peter four eleven through fourteen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Think it not strange of the fiery trial. I know a lot of the preaching and teaching that I hear in Christianity today, um, I would think that if somebody went through a fiery trial, they would think it's strange because all you hear is prosperity. And all you hear is it's a new season, a season of favor and a season of blessing. And this is true. We believe that from the word of God. But we also understand that a part of God working in us is through suffering. Amen. And that as we suffer, the Spirit of God ministers to us. And suffering drives us back to the Word and to prayer. And the cycle is repeated. And God is working in us. Too many Christians think that when they get saved or their conversion experience is the only important experience. But it's not. Just being raised is not the only important experience. Amen? Just having God breathe on you and speaking in tongues and feeling God's power and favor and like, wow, this is awesome. I feel so changed and different. It's not the only important experience. But after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he said, loose him and let him go. Loose him and let him go. In other words, this man is now alive. Get him out of his grave clothes. Get him out of the graveyard. He is alive. Amen? And the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, it says that she put off concerning the former conversation or the former behavior, uh, the old man which is corrupt, and that you put on the new man, which is after God is created in righteousness and true holiness amen colossians 3 1 says the same thing since you be risen with christ seek those things which are above it's not just your first initial experience but get out of your grave clothes Uh, put off the old fleshly nature and the old man and move forward with resurrection power amen hallelujah because god is working in you so that he can work through you and this is the final point is God is going to work through you. Verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Amen? So God is working in us through the Word, through prayer, our personal prayer, and through suffering, God is working in you. And and if you need an example of this, God spent 40 years working in Moses before he started working through him. Are you with me? God spent 40 years preparing Moses before he could work through him. At the beginning of the story, Moses is an impetuous person. He's a violent person. He depends on his own strength instead of God. Remember? 
he killed the Egyptian taskmaster. But after he fled Egypt and was in the wilderness for those 40 years, he comes out as a humble shepherd. He comes out ready for God to use him. Moses experienced God's working in his life, a working that prepared him for 40 more years of magnificent service, unparalleled service. So God work in me because God, I want you to work through me. Let me be patient while God is working in me and understand if God didn't have something for me, he wouldn't be working in me. If God didn't have a plan for me, he would not be putting me through this time of preparation. Amen. Moses isn't the only example in scripture. Joseph suffered for 13 years before God put him up on the throne, second only to Pharaoh in Egypt. David had been anointed as king, but he was chased like a common criminal. He did not gain the throne until he had suffered through many years in exile. And even the apostle Paul, after he was saved, he went for three years into the Arabian wilderness before he began his service to the Lord because God had to work in him before God could work through him. Praise the Lord. God's deeper work was to prepare him for ministry and God has to work in us before he can work through us. So be patient. Keep doing what you know you're supposed to be doing. Don't chafe. Don't lose out. Realize God is perfecting me and preparing me for works of service. Amen. He's begun in me. Hallelujah. He is working in me. I am his workmanship. I am his master. I am his beautifully put together thing. He is working in me. But it's a masterpiece that's not just going to hang on the wall. It's a masterpiece that's going to be used. He's working on me. I get a mental picture of somebody working meticulously and carefully, putting together a model airplane or putting, putting, together, uh, uh, putting together an automobile, functional automobile. And he's working because he eventually plans to drive it and to use it. And God is working in me because his purpose is not that I would sit on the shelf or be a showpiece, but that I would be functional and that he could work through me. Amen? God's purpose is to work through us. We were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We're not saved by good works, but we're saved unto good works. There was a a famous theologian, you've heard of John Calvin before. He said, it is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. We are not saved by faith plus good works, but by a faith that works. And in the book of James, you can see the correlation there. And you realize that saving faith always results in a changed lives. Amen. In changed lives, in works. And the Bible uh, speaks of many different kinds of works. But um, when the Apostle Paul writes here about works, the believer has God working in him and his works are good. The good works that the Bible is talking about. He's created us unto good works. It is God working in us. Beforehand, our works were not good because it was Satan working in us. But now we have a new nature and it's God working in us. And it's the Holy Spirit that works in us and through us. Amen. It's a shame that so many believers minimize the place of good works in a Christian life. And they say, well, we're not saved by works, so good works must be evil. That's a ridiculous mistake. The Bible says, Matthew 5, 16. Is that one of the scriptures? No. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works 
and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We don't do good works to glorify ourselves, but to bring glory to our Father which is in heaven. Amen? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Second Corinthians 9, 8 said we should abound to every good work. Colossians 1, 10 that said that we should be fruitful in every good work. Amen. And second Timothy 3, 17, it says we should be equipped for every good work. Titus 2, 14 says we should be zealous of good works. Uh, and Hebrews 13, 16 says our good works are actually spiritual sacrifices, presenting ourselves to God, a living sacrifice. It's important to understand we don't manufacture good works or decide, now I've got to do good works today. No, good works are a product of God's nature and spirit alive in us. It happens naturally. It's not produced or manufactured. It comes out as evidence that we have been born again. Amen? Of the water and the spirit. God hath, and, and the final point here that I want to make is uh, in verse number 10. Somebody read verse number 10 one more time aloud. Verse 10 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. Amen. Just read it out. Yes. So the good works God prepared beforehand. He hath ordained beforehand the good works that we should walk in. Everybody, that means God has a plan. My life is not random. And as God is working in me and beginning to work through me, the good works that are happening because of my life in Christ Jesus are not just arbitrary or random, but they are something that God had planned for a long time ago. Amen? So the person who is spiritually dead is walking according to a plan. They're walking according to the course of this world. But the believer walks in the good works that God had already prepared for them from the beginning of time. That's an amazing statement if you really think about it for a second. If you really think about it, God has a plan for our lives that we should walk in His will and fulfill His plan. Amen? He has a plan for us and it's a loving plan and it's a, it's, he, he is the one who wants the very best for us. He is our heavenly father and he had this plan for our lives. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. So you can say, where am I right now? Is sin working against me right now? Or is God working for me? Or is God working in me? Or have I begun to see God working through me? Hallelujah. Let's stand together. God bless you. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Everybody say, thank God I'm alive. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm living for God today, not because I'm a good person. Not because I'm better than the average person, but because the Spirit of the Lord has quickened me. Because God's Word has made me alive. Hallelujah. God has empowered me and given me hope and given me a plan. And He's working in me. And His goal is to work through me. Hallelujah.